librarians around the country have been seeing some pretty unusual requests from students these days. At the libraries, we have so many students coming in asking us to find them articles and books that don't exist. That's Leo Lowe, a professor of libraries and learning sciences at the University of New Mexico. And he is describing a rush of students with reference requests that have stumped even the most seasoned library professionals. At the very beginning, we a lot of our staff and librarians actually spend a lot of time trying to find these, you know, um, books and articles, and then realize, wait a minute, they don't, we cannot find them. They realized what was happening, and you may have already guessed this. The students were bringing in references to books and articles that had been suggested to them by ChatGPT or other new AI chatbots. These chatbots often make things up when they don't know the answer to a question. And the book titles and the author names that they create sound super plausible since they're crafted based on the giant mass of data that these AI tools have been trained on. I mean, these are statistics models, right? So they just predict the next word and um, they don't reason, they don't, you know, think, you know, the way we do. They don't feel bad if they give you bum information. They want to please you, right? <laughs> they just want to come up with an answer for you, whether it's right or wrong. Now I'm humanizing it now, but that's the way it is. A generative AI, it generates. So um, we haven't gone to the point where it can um, figure out the, the, the truth, the facts from, you know, things that they it doesn't know. To Leo Lowe, scenes like this, highlight a need for more efforts to teach AI literacy and to teach it to both students and educators. So much has been said in the last few months about worries about students using AI chatbots to cheat on assignments, and that's definitely happening. But plenty of students are also just trying to use these tools to help them do their research and homework, which is one reason why students are showing up at the library with a list of books and articles that they want to read that have been suggested to them by a bot. And there are so many people that lack a basic understanding of how something like ChatGPT works that they may not even know it could spit out a made-up title. And they don't understand that this technology should be handled differently than, say, a Google search or what they're used to. We want to use these as teaching moments, not necessarily to say, you know, to, to accuse anybody of anything at this point. Welcome to the Ed Surge Podcast where every week we look at the future of learning. I'm Jeff Young. I'm an editor and a reporter here at EdSurge. We're a nonprofit newsroom covering all levels of education. This week, we are digging into a growing push to bring AI literacy to schools and to colleges. Some experts are already arguing that teaching basic understanding of how AI works will soon become as important a subject to teach in schools as reading, writing, and math. In fact, AI literacy turns out to be a rare issue these days that has bipartisan support. Last month, two members of Congress, one a Republican and one a Democrat, introduced a bill called the Artificial Intelligence Literacy Act that would add funding for AI literacy efforts to an existing digital equity law. And in October, the White House issued an executive order that attempts to set standards for AI safety, including around AI's role in transforming education. But what exactly is AI literacy? The technology is still at a very volatile stage, with competing offerings from tech giants and from upstarts. And there are thorny ethical issues as well. To find out more, I reached out to two experts who are focused on these questions. One of them is Leo Lowe, and we'll get back to him in a bit. 
And the other is Susan Gonzalez, who founded the nonprofit AI and You, which was founded to spread AI literacy. She is a member of President Biden's National AI Advisory Committee. So she has been making recommendations on how to improve AI literacy. And she has experience on the inside of big tech, having worked as a director of community engagement and policy at Facebook. I started my conversation with Susan Gonzalez by asking her how she defines AI literacy. What we're talking about here is having a basic understanding of AI. So we can't expect people to embrace new technologies if they don't understand it. In fact, I heard from the one president of a teacher's union say, oh yeah, I have a lot of companies that come to me and they tell me that this AI tool is going to change your life. And her response was, how can I embrace it if I don't even understand it? And so when it comes to marginalized communities and marginalized communities, meaning women, people of color, disabled, LGBTQ and others, if you think about history and technology, there's, there's been what we have known as the digital divide, right, in the past. A lot having to do certainly with internet access. But what we're talking about today is a potential AI divide, meaning everybody can access it on your, on your device, whether it's your iPad, your phone, or what have you. But what we're heading into is uh, where we already are in a chasm of people who understand it and people who don't. There, the more the vast majority don't, and a lot of people nod, we nod our heads, and but nobody really gets it. Um, and understandably, it's happening very, very quickly. So we want to avoid repeating history with the digital divide and creating another divide with AI. The digital divide was partly an access to a gadget issue, but in a way, this seems a little more complicated in that it's both maybe both some of the technology. Uh, hard technology access, but also an understanding. Is that right? Absolutely. And I think it's interesting too, when it comes to education, because it ties into, it goes back to the access issue, right? So like um, some of the things that we'll talk about today with generative AI and some of the cool things it can do for educators and students and, and some of the pitfalls, there are a lot of things that it can bring to a classroom, but that classroom is going to need high speed internet, Right. So are we then perpetuating the same issue that certain schools are going to be able to access and use these tools and other schools are not? And so that's what I've been hearing from educators is that's one of the top concerns about all of this new technology. It's a stacked divide. It's like the old divide plus a new divide. Exactly. That's what it really comes down to. Having said that, um, you're right. It's not about uh, having internet access, <clears throat> excuse me, at home, because we can all access, we, we not can, we do. You know, someone asked me the other day when I was speaking, uh, and they said, well, Susan, when did I first interact with AI today? And I, my response was, well, what time did you pick up your device? Did you use your face to open your phone? Well, that's facial recognition. That's an AI tool. Did you get on an internet site? The moment you clicked, you're interacting with AI. It's that simple. So we have been using AI for quite some time. I mean, I first learned about it eight years ago when I was at Facebook. And I thought this new technology was so cool because it allowed uh, the blind community to access our platform. So fast forward, here we are. So I guess that's the thing. There's like, it sounds like there's good and bad to the AI technology for any community. And the better, the, the goal is to help people understand it so they can make the best use of it. 
Absolutely. And, and what's needed the most, particularly in education, is to prompt a curiosity to learn more. So it's, I, I was at this large event with a number of educators, and a good number of the people in the room had not tried generative AI. Like a chat GPT or right. any of those tools. Yeah. That, that's a problem. Um, because sometimes the fear of these new technologies can outweigh the curiosity, and we need to move more, less on fear and more to curiosity, and to also educate people, and this is AI literacy, on here are the great things about it, and here are the not-so-great things about it. Yeah, I, I am I am curious about that. So with generative AI in particular, because that's the newest, and, and, and there is a lot of, you know, kind of education happening for a lot of us. I'm sure a lot of listeners are like trying to still figure out what it is. So what, what are some of the things you're seeing as a potential positive in education of AI? Right. Well, for educators, generative AI, for generative yeah. <laughs> AI. Yeah. So to be clear, there's two types of AI today. One is predictive, which is what we interact with when we're on the internet, right? So there's our streaming service, suggests movies, let's say, you know, they suggest comedies because we typically watch comedies, right? So right. that predictive it sees what we did AI, and exactly. it's, it's trying to figure out what we might want next. Right. It's based yeah. on our behavior. You know, it's not that they know Susan in my living room, but but the AI understands my behavior and then they will make it will make recommendations accordingly. Generative AI is very different. Generative AI is based on creating information from what is called training data. Generative AI, to be clear, is not an internet search. So today you go on the internet, you search, you get a lot of articles and you go through them, you cut and paste what this, what you might want. That's not what generative AI. Generative AI, you, you provide a prompt, let's say, please write me, or not please, but you know, write a, a hundred, a hundred um, word essay on the revolution. What sure. The, so AI, you tell GPT, Chat GPT, write me an essay about this topic. Exactly. Yeah. That AI tool will go and pull from a vast pool of data, whether it's images, text, or music, and then uses that knowledge to generate unique content, which is a response to you, right? So this is not a copycat, as I mentioned, like cutting and pasting news articles. Generative AI is a creator, and that's the biggest difference. But to be clear, um, it can be wrong. And so that's, that's the, one of the downfalls of generative AI today is that the, the answers can be wrong. It can also be based on bias information. So let's say that the training data, whether they use Wikipedia or library resources or other types of you know, text resources, particularly if a company uses biased information in their training data. So if the information only reflects one population, then the output is only going to reflect that population. So those are some of the downsides. Um, but, you know, a couple to three areas for the educators that you might want to explore using generative AI includes like personalized learning, which is creating customized learning experiences for students. Or educators can use AI to create interactive content, such as quizzes or educational games, you know, that type of thing that will engage students more deeply. Or you know, educators can offer customized support for students with special needs, which is amazing, right? And adapting learning materials to their unique requirements. So there are many, way, many other ways 
educators can use generative AI, but some those are some of the highlights. And one of the things that I know your your organization is actually, you know, trying to provide resources and increase the AI literacy that's out there. What is an example of something um, that that your organization is doing to try to spread AI literacy, especially to the underrepresented marginalized communities? Right. Well, what we do and we have on our on our site, which is AI and org, we have um, a plethora of resources and information and, and simple videos. So, for example, what is an algorithm? Right. Or how do you use AI to help you find a job or how to protect your privacy with AI? Those types of things. Um, what we did recently was we launched an election and misinformation campaign. And so we have a video on what misinformation is and just defining what a deep fake is and helping people understand how to protect your vote. And why that's important is because if you think about it, the last few elections have predominantly been decided by women and people of color. So chances are very likely that women and people of color are going to be targets of misinformation, whether it's an AI-generated fund fund, uh, fundraising letter, an AI-generated fundraising or outreach call sounds so real and absolutely uh, AI generated misinformation online. So what we're telling voters is you cannot believe anything you read, see, or hear this election. You have to double check everything because the, the uh, technology advanced so quickly. Um, Congress was not able to identify, put, to put any guardrails in place. So it's a free for all. You could, you know, you don't have to be a tech person to create a deep fake, a fake image or a fake commercial or a fake ad. It can be you and I at home now because the technology has advanced so much. Right. So in other words, there are just tools that are easy enough for anyone to use that would make it seem like some public figures say something they didn't actually say, like absolutely either to make them look bad or good or whatever to, to, to uh, put an agenda. Right. Right. And that's, you know, that that's in the the not so good things about generative AI, that it can create these realistic but fake images, videos and text. And, you know, that has the potential for, you know, to be used in harmful ways, such as manipulating public opinion, for example. Yeah, it's going to I mean, this election year is going to just be a just a very different one, it sounds like, is what you're saying. Absolutely. Yeah, it's interesting because there's been all this talk over, you know, the last five, 10 years over increasing CS literacy and coding, you know, kind of coding efforts. But it's, it seems like a strange shift all, all of a sudden because it seems like AI more and more is able to help with coding <laughs> and, and, and maybe make, who knows, maybe these AI tools can make coding easier for, for most, for people, even if they're not expert coders. But there are all these new literacies that it, that are maybe needed just to be a citizen of the world when the world is full of this generative AI all of a sudden. I could not agree more. You know, coding coding was the thing, but about 15 years or so ago, uh, you know, and get coding in the classroom. That's not to say that isn't important. It is. But what's happening is we interact with, we, you and I, our families, our friends, we interact with AI every single day and maybe not even know it even even you know traffic lights they're timed based on the traffic patterns and there's ai tools that monitor those traffic patterns 
So it's, you know, AI was not born when ChatGPT was launched. And a lot of people think that that's what happened, um, but nothing could be further than the truth. You know, educators have been using different types of AI for years for grading, you know, um, creating lesson plans, et cetera. Generative AI is today's AI advanced that we need to encourage people to be more curious about. And I know that you mentioned your work at Facebook, which, you know, it's a obviously like one of these um, tech giants that led the way in using AI, of course, but also in just creating the the current environment we're in as far as technology. And, and I guess I wonder what, what, what are some, what is a lesson or two that you learned from working at Facebook that you bring to the work you're doing now? Ah, uh, very interesting question. So I launched my work with AI and you about almost five years ago after I left the tech industry. And I did so because I noticed once, became, once I became involved in the AI ecosystem, I realized that the AI ecosystem was on the left hand and the rest of the world, including marginalized community, was on the right hand. And there's this big chasm in the middle where there's no communication between regular people and the tech world. And so that's why I created specifically marginalized communities, um, AI and you, um, to provide that education. And the biggest thing I've learned, to your point, is I remember over – I was there five years – and there were a number of things that didn't work, right? You know, you're at a tech startup, but I do remember a few things that did work. And so as I've navigated this new space, especially prior to a year or so ago, nobody's really talking about AI. So in a way, it's been, you know, think about if someone stood up in front of us four years ago and waved a flag and said, a pandemic is coming, and we would have all been like, uh-huh, okay, <laughs> Right, right, right. Before the pandemic, right? People, yeah, there were people doing that, but but nobody, nobody really... paid attention. That's what this feels like. My work sometimes is I'm waving a flag for regular people, for educators, for students, for community college students, universities, and and especially for workers, including educators. That's what this is. This is about is people. Please pay attention. Please be curious. We will come back to Susan Gonzalez and what she recommends in a bit. But I wanted to cut back to my conversation with Leo Lowe, the librarian. Unlike Susan Gonzalez, Lowe is not a longtime tech expert. But when the heightened buzz around AI started about a year ago, he got curious. When ChatGPT came out uh, in, I think, late November 2022, I, just like everybody else, I was shocked and in awe of it. And I realized very quickly that it's going to disrupt a lot of things, including teaching and learning and, and to an extent, my field libraries. So I began experimenting with it and, um, and then I realized I didn't know enough. So I took a course at the University of Oxford, Said Business School. They have a really good online program on, on AI, basically. So I took that course. I learned a little bit more about the technical aspect of it, the history. Um, and I, after that, I felt so much better. I felt like I knew so much more about AI that I could actually use it so much better. And I want to, other people to have that kind of training, uh, maybe not that in-depth, but some kind of training so that they can take advantage of this really transformative technology um, 
there are a lot of flaws, obviously, at this point, but a lot of potential as well. I think the only way for us to really take advantage of that is to start playing with it and learning more about, you know, um, about the technology, and um, and at the same time. Give feedback to you know policymakers, to institutions, to the tech company, so that we can make it better. What I think is a challenge is that there seems to be a push right now that we're that I'm seeing in bringing AI, teaching about AI, like bringing AI education and AI literacy to schools and colleges. Um, you know, we just saw in the last couple of months a lot of activity in this area with you know, an executive order around AI and and also more recently this bill um, proposed in Congress last month to, um, you know, to, 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 it's a bipartisan bill to encourage AI literacy efforts in schools. So, um, but, so I guess it sounds like you're, you're on that page of like, that, that there should be efforts, not just that people should go figure it out on their own, but there should be efforts to teach people about this very emerging thing. Is that fair to say? Oh, definitely. Um, because at my, for example, at my university, uh, we have gotten a lot of questions, a lot of um, uh, concerns about using AI, whether you know, the students using it to do their homework or actually using it to learn or um, instructors using it to teach um, or to help them with lesson plans. There are a lot of these uh, questions coming to, to us and and I feel like we are putting them in a very difficult position because, like you said just now, I, we're asking them to figure it out on their own. So I have seen a lot of university providing workshops and trainings, but and we, we have done that as well, but it's very ad hoc at this point. So we want to develop a more of a structured approach to help people learn um, these technology, how to use it well, responsibly as well. And there are, like I said earlier, there are issues with those. These technologies, they sometimes hallucinate, they make up things. How do we use it so that we don't get into that kind of trap? Uh, we At the libraries, we have so many students coming in asking us to find them articles and books that don't exist. So those should be teaching moments, right? If our staffs are trained already with that kind of knowledge. But we are, I don't think we're quite there yet. We want to get there. So that's why I wanted to do a study on AI literacy among, let's say, librarians uh, first, um, just get a sense of where we are, and then um, develop some kind of uh, a set of AI competencies, for example, for non-technical people, and, um, and help design you know, training programs and learning opportunities for people to get there. Okay, so it sounds like you did a nationwide survey of librarians. Tell us about that. Yeah, so in May last year, uh, 2023, I did a uh, national survey on just academic library uh, employees, people who work at university libraries, Um, mostly in the U.S., but we have some Canadian respondents as well, but mostly in the U.S., um, really, just to get a sense of you know the, where they are in terms of AI literacy, um, how do they feel about this kind of generative AI entering our world, and um, what are their thoughts? Um, so really, just get a explore the landscape a little bit, and what we found is about seven hundred and sixty respondents uh, uh, did the survey. So it's a nice you know size, and now these are self reporting. Um, it's early on in uh, in the, the journey of AI. Um, 
they reported that it's less than moderate understanding of AI at that point, and very, very limited hands-on experience of AI tools. Um, and definitely like some gaps in their knowledge and confidence. They didn't feel comfortable having conversations on this topic or dealing with a little bit more technical aspects of it. And definitely wanted more professional development and training. And based on that, I kind of identify several areas where we really need to think about developing training programs or competency kind of um, standards for AI for non-technical people. Um, so really understanding the capabilities of these systems and um, discovering and, and kind of assessing the potential users of these in our in our field and thinking about you know its quality biases and ethics. Um, at the same time, being able to recognize data privacy and security issues, and also anticipating its impact on on our users. Our users, for example, will be students, faculty, staff of our universities. So, um, it sounds like you identified a real a real gap. Like there was a real hunger, though, a need for more information. Like people, a majority, a vast majority, said they don't know enough. That's correct. Um, and I think people want to learn. I um, I get the sense librarians are very curious people. They want to learn new things. So I, I get that. And in fact, we try something at my own college. We set up a um, what we call a GPT-4 exploration program. From my survey, I at that point, only about 6%, six, 7% of people actually paid to use the paid version of ChatGPT. And I figured, why not pay for my staff to use it to see how they want how they can in- integrate that into their workflow? So we set up a twelve week program, um, some training, and then I asked them to design a, a like uh, individual project to incorporate the paid version of GPT GPT four into their workflow. And we get together every other week to discuss, to share lessons, learns, concerns share some of the things we found useful and kind of developing a community of practice. And then at the end, um, they presented their, their projects, their, what they have learned. And it was great. Uh, we had a pre, pre-program survey and a post-program uh, survey. And I think everybody increased their confidence, definitely, and AI literacy, their prompt engineering skills and all of that. So we are gearing up for the second iteration of that to try different tools, AI tools, in, in addition to GPT-4. Okay, now I, um, I'm i excited to, to sort of like drill into this a little bit. One of the things that I'm curious about is, let's go back to that example, because I'm so fascinated by this, of a student comes into the library and says, here's a citation, will you help me find it? And it's a made-up book by a made-up author. And you said this is a teachable moment, like what, let's use that moment. Like what, based on all your knowledge and, liter- you know, of understanding it as you've learned um, and worked with others in this, you know, in, in your efforts, like what, what would be the thing you would tell this or you you would advise telling the student in this situation? First is to, I, from my perspective, because I don't work with students that much anymore, but from my perspective, I would say to the students that it's actually okay to use these AI tools, but we must use it uh, intelligently uh, so that we take, take advantage of its strengths and avoid its weakness. So that means learning a little bit more about what these tools are about. Um, if they came to us with a citation that they haven't checked, verified, 
That is something that librarians should teach them. It's called information literacy. You should always uh, verify, evaluate your information, your sources, to make sure they are real. First of all, first of all, they're real and credible, and all of that. So that's one thing. The other thing is, so if they actually came with um, uh, fake citations, that means they haven't recognized the flaws in these models. For example, the hallucination or not recognizing facts or creating, you know, fake uh, information. So that's another thing to teach them a little bit more about these models. That these are statistical models and they don't think like humans. Therefore, you may want to avoid some of these information discovery um, 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 aspects of it, but use it for something else. For example, it's fantastic at coming up with ideas for your essays. For example, you can help. Ask it to help you brainstorm your your um, whatever essays or, or projects you're doing. You can ask it to um, even copy edit some of your your sentences. These are some some of the things that it's actually really good at, and it's not cheating that way. So um, that's some of the things that I would I would you know um, talk to students uh, about. That's so great. No, I'm curious about this. Um, I've played around with ChatGPT myself, and Tell me how you would do go about um, helping having the, the the chat GPT or other similar AI help you come up with ideas for to writing a paper because I know a lot of students get stuck on that. It's like the, the professor says, you know, pick a topic, and you're like, ah. So how would you even prompt? What's the prompt for that? Yeah, that's a really good question, and you can be as imaginative and creative as you want. And I have used some things that help me, but I there are so many creative people out there that can come up with their own thing. The very first thing, in fact, when first uh, when ChatGPT came out, um, I actually asked to act as a librarian to help me brainstorm a research project. Um, so I actually wrote an article. My my new favorite research partner is an AI. So in a way, I was like, acting as a librarian. Now I have I want to um, uh, uh, write a paper on this topic. Ask me questions. What are some of the questions you will ask me so that I can give you more information and you can keep helping me develop my my topic a little bit more? So you let me. I love this because I understand what you're saying, but I want to make sure it's clear. So in other words, you open up this ChatGPT window. It's a blank line, and you say, "Chatbot, I want you to sir. You play the role of a librarian, and I am writing a paper. Help me." you know, ask me questions so that I can get to a point where I have some ideas, help me brainstorm. And then it, it, it like understands that's it based on its training and what it thinks a librarian is based on its data sets of like the way librarians talk. It then plays the it role plays being a librarian. That's, right, right? that's correct. Just like going to a library, having an appointment, research consultation with a reference librarian, you go there, the librarian will ask you, What's the topic, right? And then how do we narrow it to a to a to a research question that is suitable for a five hundred word essay? So it's the same thing. So I just ask it to keep asking me questions to ask me to clarify what are some of the things I'm interested in, and um, we and then we can get to a point where we can come up with several research questions that are uh, appropriate. So it's really fun, actually. And it's not cheating. I no, that's not cheating unless okay. That is a very difficult thing to define right now. So it, what is cheating depends on how the instructor defines the assignment. That really is the key. If the instructor say no AI, 
then it is cheating, right? So it depends on how the, uh, the instructor views it. And that gets into another question I definitely wanted to ask you about, because you mentioned it in your writing, which is ethics. You've said that AI raises, these new types of AI raise some new ethical issues. Could, what do you see as some high-level things that you think people should definitely be aware of around ethics and AI? It is a very broad question. I think there are, so right now there are many high-profile uh, lawsuits going on. Uh, whether you know they should be using these copyrighted materials, or how do they ingest what kind of uh, data they should they are they should uh, ingest, which they should not at this point, or something that they, I think we'll work that out eventually. But at this point, we're not sure. Um, those that's one thing: copyright issues. Um, another thing is biases. We don't know what kind of data they have to train these models. Maybe there are a lot of biases in that that we, we don't, um, we're not aware of. Uh, the third thing is, um, and these have come into play for the third thing, is that for librarians, we care about where the information is comes from. So if a student uses it to get some information from there, we, this is a black box. We don't know why, it would, how it comes up with that answer. Versus, you know, if we use Google to search for uh, a, a topic, we see a bunch of, you know, um, results, and then we apply our own critical thinking skills or information literacy uh, skills to evaluate these, look at these and review these and find the relevant and credible information we use. So we know exactly how we get to those information. But an AI, at this point, we don't know you know, the algorithm, even if we know the algorithm, we mean, we still don't really know how it comes up with that answer, particular answer, what kind of, you know, so th that makes it difficult. So uh, that's something we may want to think about as we use the tools. Do we want to avoid that at this point or let use less of it or put specific kind of a prompt in there to make sure that we get um, the kind of information that we want? Um, so it, right now it's an experimental stage. We're tr still trying to figure it out how to best use it. So uh, learning a little bit more about the technology always helps. And you mentioned, though, that your focus is that there should be awareness and, and, and people getting up to speed on AI, even if they're not going to be the technologist, you know. And, and so these are – you're sort of – and I, I'm – I share this because this is a big group of people out there, at, especially in education, but then we're asking educators to then teach, you know, the, the, the people they work with, the students. So what do you, what are some of the things that, or give me maybe an example of why, it, without getting into, you know, you're not going to be the one making a chatbot, but what, what kind of, give an example of the level of knowledge that you think it makes sense to have or why, like in, in some ways, like, you know, do do people really need AI literacy or can they just like, um, you know, why, why does this technology need this kind of literacy? Whereas, you know, in, in a special way. So if we think about a university setting or any kind of educational setting, we're preparing our students to go out there in the world to contribute to the society, to get jobs. And now we know um, a lot of employers are asking for that kind of skill set. So that's reason number one for students to be able to use AI well. 
Now, for students to be able to use it well, the instructors have to know enough to teach them, or at least let them explore these uh, the, the the technology to to be able to use it in the future.、Um, so that is the challenge right now: is that in order for the instructors to teach students to use AI to enhance their learning, the instructor have to learn it first, and it's both a Kind of a technical is issue and also a psychological issue, because it's change and change is scary and hard. In a way, instructors have to start from scratch to be to recap, define what is learning, what, how do they teach. It's a lot of work, and there people are already overwhelmed. So we're asking a lot、uh, of them that. So in 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 order to do that, as institutions, we need to figure out a way to help them with that, to support them, and that's some of the things we're trying to do now. At least from my college, we're we're developing some workshops and trainings. But I'm hoping that university wide, there's a more of a、um, I would say a massive reskilling, upskilling effort to help you know instructors gain that. Competency or AI literacy, whatever we want to call it, so that they they can you know keep up to speed. Basically, one of the things that I think is kind of still up for grabs is like when to use AI and when not to use AI, because that gets back to this ethical question that we've talked about. What would you say to somebody who says, "I don't want to learn this because I think there's too much AI," <laughs> you know, what would,、um, and that we shouldn't be promoting this. Oh, you mean in general, not using AI for teaching? Yeah, yeah, just, just like to have an objection to it somehow as a teacher or professor. I think it's fair. I mean, that's part of their freedom as instructors. But they, I, I would feel more comfortable if they make that decisions based on、uh, make as an informed decision, so they know enough about the tools to make that decision, and not just say, "I don't like it." That's therefore we 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 don't want to use it. Um, I think that's a disservice to our students. Now I get that students, most students use it. It's I I get that too.、Um, and some teach a lot. Instructors are worried about、um, cheating, plagiarism, all of that, mis、um, dishonesty, and it's a difficult problem to solve.、Um, I don't know how to solve it, to be honest, at this point.、Um, But I, but at the same time, I feel like it's a short-term issue. Yes, there's a period of this, but eventually, the we can close that lag when instructors realize there's no there's no stopping it. We just have to change the teaching and learning uh, um, methods. Um, so by that point, hopefully,、um, AI has also improved to a point where it's gone better at, in many of the. Dealing dealing with all the flaws we just talked about, so、um, so I'm optimistic in that way. But I get that there is a short term period of I would say pain, whether it's for instructors for for different people who who are uncertain about this and and、uh, are a little bit against it. I get that. 
I'm also curious, librarians in particular, I've been writing about this space for a long time with technology and education, and librarians have, have had a tough go because Google presented an existential crisis and, and search engines um, because you could just ask, this, put into a search bar, like, I have a request, give me an answer, and there were answers. This takes that to the next level, as even in your scenarios, um, if you can have it play the role of a librarian. Do you worry that this could put librarians and other information, work, you know, other people in higher ed out of business, so to speak? Yeah, uh, so uh, librarians are a very adaptable bunch. So with, like you said, digitization, we, you know, we find ways to help people, basically. And with this, I think that we, even though it's really, imp- the technology is really improving really fast, I think there is, you know, like that popular saying, AI is not going to replace People, but you know, people use AI. We replace people who don't use AI. I think it's the same thing for librarians and for higher ed educators. We have to start using it so that we, you know, we can use it to enhance our work um, and not be um, uh, not worry. I would not worry about um, being replaced by the technology uh, at this point. Maybe you know, ten years, twenty years from now, it would be different. But at this point, it's with. It's not there yet, but it can greatly enhance our productivity. It can greatly help us with dealing with, uh, um, I would say, things that we don't really like to do. Uh, the really tedious kind of task, we can ask an AI to do it. Uh, that frees up our time and also mental energy to do things that humans can do at this point. So, um, But that means we need to learn how to use it first. I also asked Susan Gonzalez about whether she had concerns about AI taking away jobs. Like, how worried should people coming out of college be these days? And how much do kind of does every faculty and, and teacher need to change what they're teaching because of these huge changes that could come with AI, generative AI? I'm extraordinarily concerned, especially when it comes to marginalized communities, and because the reality is, is jobs that that require repetitive skills today, admin assistants, paralegals, translators, let alone factory workers, those jobs are likely going to be replaced. And it, it is happening. There was a, a, an announcement just this week of one of the translation company, a language company, just did their first round of layoffs because they replaced the people with AI. So... The conversation I'm having um, with my colleagues in Washington is how are we addressing your regular person about this? There are lists that, there are many lists that say, oh, here's a long list of the jobs that are really going to be affected. Hard stop. Okay. So I just had this conversation actually earlier today with some friends of mine in Washington. I said, so, so what are we telling the admin assistants? Okay. Because of generative AI, you're probably going to lose your job. And, right, is anybody talking to community college students? Here's a, here's a long list of things, of jobs that are going to be affected. Maybe you don't want to go into those areas. But there's got to be something between that and a machine learning expert, right? So what's what's the happy medium? What should we be telling community college students right now and, and workers in those repetitive roles and quite honestly, there's no answer hmm. today. In other words, yeah, I guess there's this, you could warn people against certain jobs that might have obvious layoffs or that are already having layoffs, but then what do you go into? I mean, I, 
I'm hearing that students graduating today or about to graduate are, in fact, worried about just that question. Like, what do you do? What do you go into if the world shifted in the last year unexpectedly? Exactly. So hopefully more to come and hopefully, you know, I'll be able to find some uh, recommendations and, and include them, you know, on our platform for people to understand. But Unfortunately, what's happening is there's a lot, there are the lists that say, here are the jobs that are going to be lost and here are the jobs that are going to be created and they're in tech. You know, they're become a machine learning specialist or become a data scientist. Well, and I just said this to somebody this morning. I said, it's not realistic to suggest to an admin assistant or a paralegal that they should become a machine learning expert. So, so what are we, what should they be doing? I would, I know people are like, you know, hoping somebody does have that list to put on their platform. I, I do see that I mentioned that you're working with President Biden's National AI Advisory Committee. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there are many things going on there. Um, and that you already that you also worked on a blueprint for inclusivity in AI that the World Economic Forum put out. I think we even mentioned that in our coverage um, previously, that report. So what are some policy things that you see um, that could help, especially in the realm of education, but because because education affects, you know, helping people prepare for the world, it's sort of important. Um, anything you might be working on, like, what are some things that um, that you're you're doing in these advisory roles, or that you see coming that we sh- that are are interesting things that government and 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 world governments could be could be thinking about. Well, one thing I'm very excited to share, um, and it's a public document uh, on AI.gov slash NIAC, N-A-I-A-C, um, is I, I co-chair one of the work groups on NIAC um, for education and awareness. And we worked for months on a, a recommendation for the White House, which we just submitted in November. And this, and you will find that on AI.gov. And this recommendation is focused on enhancing AI literacy for the United States. And there is some very interesting research that our team did to to find the um, level or lack thereof of awareness. The numbers are very low, particularly in underrepresented communities, on understanding the basics of AI. Most people still believe that AI is coming someday and robots are going to take over. So we have a long way to go in educating. So if anybody would be interested, they can check that that out that recommendation to the White House, which we hope, you know, there will be some movement to launch a national AI literacy campaign. And that's part of the recommendation. But you will also see there are a number of recommendations that some of our my other work groups have submitted and which were included in the president's executive order on AI. It, everything from workforce to international to generative AI to safety. So yeah, it's all it's all there on AI.gov slash NIAC and the work continues. We have a couple more years of this. You know, I, I, could you just highlight for us, and I will definitely put that uh, link in the show notes. Thank you. Um, could you highlight for us what you hope, you know, kind of examples of things that could be if there was a, a broader initiative that you that you're sort of sounds like you're recommending on like a real a bigger push on AI literacy um, that the government might be involved in. Well, the the goal would be is to localize it. So rather than creating a government, in quotation marks, a government program, which would take quite some time to get off the ground, 
what we're proposing, which you would see in the in the recommendation, is that this be a public-private partnership. So, for example, to um, engage AI developers to fund local AI literacy programs. So this would not be a, a top-down, you know, per se. It would be a bottoms-up. Um, because that's one thing with NIAC, we held a number of stakeholder conversations and that was the clear message we got from the stakeholders is our communities need to learn about AI from our communities. Mm, I see. And so not some outsider government national thing, but to, to really involve people that are closer to the ground of where they're communicating. Exactly. Hmm. And, you know, I guess how hopeful are you that that this kind of literacy effort can can take off in a way that would avoid a, a second kind of digital divide rerun? Well, yeah. I am very hopeful um, because not only did the White House recommendation um, go public in November, there was also um, some legislation on AI literacy that was presented right before Christmas by Congresswoman Blunt and Bouchon, a Democrat and Republican. And it is specifically calling out the same thing, the need for AI literacy. And then what's interesting is on the global front, um, in fact, just a couple of days ago, Paris announced, or France, but Paris announced that they are launching an AI, basically an AI literacy program specifically for teachers. Um, there's uh, the, I'm talking to the UK consulate about how, what we can do in AI literacy in the UK. So everybody is realizing now that this train is moving very quickly and there's so much fear that we need to help people understand more about it. And again, spark curiosity. So it sounds like it's interesting that example in France that it sounds like teachers are a potential key player in, in building this understanding. Teachers are critical in this understanding because for two things, if teachers don't understand it, they're not going to embrace the new technology that's available to them, one. But two, if teachers don't understand it, they are not going to be able to spark curiosity of their students because that's the goal. That's the starting point because the awareness in the United States is so low that even just sparking curiosity to learn I'm even shocked when I ask friends like, oh, have you been on ChatGPT? And their response is no. And I'm thinking, wow, really? <laughs> is there an example of something, you know, you're doing with ChatGPT or one of these other new tools that is an example of like, oh, this is cool. I'm, you know, like this is how it's, I'm, I'm found in my own, in my own life to like improve something. Absolutely. Well, as I mentioned, you know, uh, AI new, we are going to be launching a new, um, section for educators next month. And as I've been creating that, I've been using ChatGPT. So I, I get on and I got on the other day and I said, okay, what are the top benefits of generative AI for teachers? What are the top pitfalls? What are the top uh, for students? And, and then that information that I'm able to gather through generative AI sparks ideas for me to pursue. Yeah, I was gonna say, isn't that your job to come up with that? Isn't it? Are you? Mm -hmm. Aren't you like just giving your homework to the chatbot? Um, no, no, because and you'll see the way it's written is not the way people communicate. And 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 for me, and AI and you, our entire purpose is to communicate 
elements of AI in easy to understand language. <laughs> so, so I would never just cut and paste, but it does prompt ideas for me. Interesting. And so it is, that's, I hear this a lot with people I'm talking to these days that it's not, um, you know, it's not going to do your work for you, but it can help you just kind of organize and think through exactly um, the work you're doing already. Right. Right. And I mean, you know, in students, especially again, going back to the community college students that, that they too should be embracing it. I mean, students, they can really improve their research. You know, AI can quickly gather information on a topic, helping them with the research and projects or, you know, AI, the generative AI can help students improve their writing by suggesting edits or correcting grammar. You know, it can help with creative projects like art and music or creative writing. And importantly, in subjects like math and science, AI can help solve complex problems, explain solutions step-by-step, and even provide additional practice problems. So, so there are a lot of benefits. And at the same time, we all must be aware of some of the downfalls with bias information, uh, hallucinations, which are incorrect answers, and also privacy. So these efforts around AI literacy are complicated by the fact that even these experts don't have all the answers about what are the benefits and dangers here. But like it or not, AI does seem to be changing our world fast. It's worth remembering that ChatGPT is the fastest growing technology of all time in terms of adoption, growing to 100 million monthly users in its first two months. So this is a hard one. Basically, can educators keep up themselves and help the rest of us learn enough to weather all this change? This has been the EdSurge Podcast. Every week, we bring you conversations like this one. If you like the show, please follow us wherever you get your podcasts and tell a friend about the EdSearch podcast so we can continue to grow. If you want to get links to the reports and resources that we mentioned in the episode, head to edsearch.com, click on the word podcast. And you can get all this sent to your inbox by signing up for the EdSearch podcast newsletter. Just click on the word newsletters on our site to subscribe. This episode was reported and put together by me, Jeff Young. And you can find me on x at jryoung or on the web at jeffyoung.net. Editing this week by Rebecca Koenig. And the music is by Komaku. We'll be back here next week with more on the future of learning. Thanks for listening.